the Voice of Procurement podcast, supported by the National Forum for the Advancement of Teaching and Learning in Higher Education. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Voice of Procurement podcast. I'm your host, David McEvitt. The Voice of Procurement podcast will every month provide a new episode to supplement the Certificate in Procurement Management at University College Cork, Ireland. Politicians everywhere like to announce infrastructure developments and be photographed opening new buildings. Yet when things go wrong, it is inevitable that public procurement is blamed. In this episode, I'll get the perspective of the Construction Industry Federation and how it interacts with our public procurement regime. My guest today is Connor O'Connell from the Construction Industry Federation. Connor's chief concern is the state's use of the fixed price contract. We learn of the contract's political origin in the Irish Parliament and its perceived role in stifling innovation and productivity. Our objectives are to define the fixed price contract, outline the consequences of such contracts for the construction sector, understand structural characteristics of the construction market and describe the benefits to the sector of the existing common market between Ireland and the United Kingdom. Conor, can you tell us why construction is full of conflict, risk and hazards? I suppose the when we start talking about disputes in construction and we start talking about uh, construction contracts, I think we first of all need to talk about the industry and what is the construction industry the construction industry it's we're a service industry and we service the needs of our clients so if our client wants to build shall we say a factory the specifications for that factory are set out at tender stage and when then we go to tender that particular job so an awful lot of the control factors associated with the construction project uh, initially and at the inception, design, etc., are outside the control of a typical construction contractor. So it's the client, uh, and the client specifies what type of building. The client specifies, you know, the design, the products that go into that building. You know, um, what type of windows or doors they want. The specifications. They're all within the client's remit or control, right? Okay. Um, then you have other, you have the designers, the architects, the QSs, the quantity surveyors who assess the cost associated with the architectural design. Uh, and then we're at the very end of that process. We're at the end of that process and we have no input in most instances into all that goes on before from planning, design, uh, cost control, etc. We are simply asked to build that project for uh, in some instances, the price may be set. May be set. In other instances, it's unknown. Uh, our rents are not unknown, but there's a, there's a, a scale attached to the particular building. It might cost between five and six million to construct this particular uh, factory unit. We'll say. And in terms of the let's say use the word let's say use the word attractiveness. How attractive is um, public sector work? versus private sector work for the average construction firm? If the average construction firm had its way, it would not uh, engage at all in public sector works, in my opinion. From what I hear from construction contractors day in, day out, the forms of contract, the whole procedures uh, around procurement, tendering, and the contracts under which they work under are too severe, onerous, bureaucratic, uh, and uh, they're full of conflict. 
in the private sector, you build up relationships with clients. The client can select who they want. The public sector can because they're governed by EU directives in relation to the procurement process that they have to follow. I think if you look right down through the top 10 contractors, top 20 contractors in this country and select how many of them are actually engaged uh, on public sector works, there, there's not that many. That the profit margins, you're talking one and a half, two and a half percent profit margin. If you're talking about a project that goes into the tens of millions, mm. there's a huge risk then that uh, with that level of profit margin and all the risk on the contractor. Okay. Without a doubt, all risk associated with uh, the work is on the contractor. Okay. Um, and that creates a very, a very adversarial uh, adversarial environment on public sector works. It's still the vast majority of, of public works are selected on the basis of price, right? So a school, um, we won't mention hospitals. No, please don't. <laughs> um, schools, roads, you know, guard stations. Um, for the medium, they're the typical bread and butter for our medium-sized contractors in Ireland. It's all price. Price is what will win you that particular contract, right? Mm. Um, the most economically advantageous tender and that type of um, system for medium-sized projects is very hard to implement because it will always be subjective, I think. Uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to have an objective meet criteria. For instance, you know, how have you performed in the last project? You could have had a very difficult relationship with a particular employer's representative on the previous contract and they, they might bring down your scores for an assessment for the next contract, whereas that might be an outlier in terms of your overall, you know, so it's, it, I, I struggle with the concept of introducing meet criteria for a, a certain scale of public works, right? I don't understand how it could practically be implemented, you know, okay. on a fair basis, uh, on a fair basis. Because remember, like under public works, the control, the control is completely with the client and the employer's representative. Um, if we go to the structure of the contracts as well, I know that in many, many instances, because of the notice criteria within the contracts, in other words, if you're told, I, want, I don't want the window there, I want to move the window 10 feet down, mm -hmm. right? you can only theoretically do that under a public works contract if the employer's representatives gives you a written instruction. Okay. okay. Then you have to notify the employer's representative within... Uh, 21 days, I think it is, sorry no Dave, I don't mm -hmm. have the contract in front of me, but within a specified time, that that moving of the window from that location to that location is going to cost you X amount and therefore we are putting in a claim for an extra over and above for the price we tendered. Mm. Okay? The employer's representatives might say, hold on a second, that's not, that's not, no, we disagree with that. There's no, should be no cost increase to simply moving the window there. But then you will say, hold on a second, that wall is already built. I'm going to have to have people come in and put in an op into that wall to facilitate moving the window from that spot to that spot as per your instructions. And now I have to block up that. So, of course, there's an extra cost. So is, is the problem with construction in general that without perfect foresight that allocating uh, a contract to someone based on price only assumes that the price is not going to change during the course of construction and that's a very weak assumption absolutely that's the core issue go back to the when we're talking about public works now Dave go mm. back to 2007 when the government announced or introduced the new forms of government contract right 
the stated intention of Minister McCreevy at the time when he stood up inside in the doll was, I do never want a situation again where any Minister for Finance or any other government minister has to stand up in the doll and explain why there's a cost increase on a road project or a, or a school building project. At the time, there was fierce controversies about certain road projects that had increased significantly in cost. You know, Now, some of that was down to changes in the spec but that was the government's intention right they didn't they wanted fully designed projects going out for tender unfortunately that never happened we never got um and it's rare to get a, a, a building that's fully designed at tender stage there will always be changes when you then go on to site you will find that you look at Irish Water, Irish Water do, don't have full mapping for all their pipes, for instance, in Ireland. So you might come across a water mains that has to be moved. Who's going to pay for that? Initially, that was initially for, and it still is, and it can still be the case, that's purely the contractor's risk. The contractor is taking that risk in relation to a significant number of the unknowns uh, that they may come across on ground conditions. Now, that has slightly changed with the reintroduction of the Bill of Quantities, you know, in 2016, when they brought that back into play, so there is greater detail now. But it doesn't matter what. I've never, ever known any building, Dave, that hasn't... That, David, no, excuse me, that hasn't changed some element of design mm. during the construction pro process. There's known unknowns. There's, there's, there's no such thing. There's never, I, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a fully designed... Um, uh, uh, fully designed building that won't change in some manner or means or some some item won't change in it so it's then very very difficult to have a fixed price contract which was the intention of the government go back to 2007 when they introduced these new forms of government contract it, they were going to be fully designed and fixed price that was their intention fully designed and fixed price and what's happened since then and now? Are we still in the same position of having the promise of having a fixed price contract? Bill of Materials has increased the detail, increased the level of but specification, there, but there's still, there's still unknowns. There's still unknowns. There's, there'll always be unknowns. I don't understand how you can never have an unknown. You can, you can do your best to fix it. You can do your best to control the costs, but there will always be changes. Um, that's the nature of construction work. Um, so it's it's what happened. You see, from two thousand and seven as well, right? There was from uh, from our perspective, it was it was the worst case scenario. They introduced new forms of government construction contract, mm -hmm. uh, new tendering procedures, etc. And then we hit the construction recession. That's in many places in Ireland. We're still in a, in the construction industry is not out of the recession yet, Dave. So mm. you go outside Dublin and Cork, for instance, and it's debatable about Cork, but you go outside those two centres uh, in particular, and there's just not a lot happening in construction-wise. There really isn't. Um, so we have had a sustained period now of low margins and low output in the vast majority of locations in Ireland uh, over 10 years. So therefore, what has happened is that contractors and the prices and the tender prices haven't increased that significantly, even though we're talking about maybe seven percent, uh, or it was it was mentioned by the Society of Charter Surveyors, you know, a seven percent increase in tender prices in last year, that certainly hasn't been the case in regional Ireland. But in any event, the the point is for most of Ireland for a sustained period, um, what happened was the prices didn't increase, so the government perceived that the new introduction of the new contracts and the new tendering procedures was a success. 
you know they were See. getting great value for their work but what was happening in the industry is that it was a disaster from our perspective because what happened was because the lowest price wins the job people were tendering at the lowest price on a continuous basis and taking huge risks they were buying the job buying the job and okay. buying turnover on the basis that next year will be better next year will be better and then what happened was you even up to last year i think we had in 2019 uh, 2018 especially was a poor we had a number of significant contractors that went bust I think it's important too for listeners to perhaps understand that the public procurement decisions do have an impact on the marketplace itself. So by setting price only contracts, albeit now with the bill of materials, that does have consequences for everyday business. It does have ramifications for how many firms can sustain business in construction. Absolutely. I mean, we've been told, we're being, uh, there's a productivity report just published by the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform uh, on productivity in the construction sector. And um, it's taking a, a dig at the industry for its lack of productivity, for instance, Dave. But the industry isn't in a position to invest in innovation, technology, research and development because of the poor and low uh, low profit margins it simply is not in that position to invest in you know modular construction uh, techniques or you know um, go to the le level and extent they have done with modular uh, facilities in the UK and continental Europe for instance because it's we've low output low volume low margin you know that's 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 the Irish construction industry at the moment so if we were to flip around and say okay so the the average construction firm does not find tendering for public sector work attractive mm. what is attractive then tell me about what is the kind of sweet spot for a construction firm in terms of procurement like what would be the the sweet spot at the moment for procurement in Ireland and you look at the again look at the top 50 contractors look at the top 20 contractors they're all engaged mainly data center construction pharmaceutical construction biotech plants uh, all of those areas of construction are very are are, are far more what's what's the better word far a far better model of procurement and early contractor involvement all of that type of stuff that that allows a greater level of collaboration between the client and this and the industry so for instance you know there is not this um, fascination with fixed price all the time there's a realization by the client that we will change where the pipes are going in our pharmaceutical plant but we will pay you if we change our design along the way and, and that is our responsibility and early supplier involvement is where the supplier gets involved at the mm -hmm. early stage of the yeah. before the, well the contract is there but it's a an invitation to contribute mm -hmm. to the overall design mm -hmm. so you're shown the design maybe at a, yeah. at a, at a some kind of um well, it's not complete and then you look at the design and you make suggestions for yeah. value engineering it's sometimes called is absolutely it and lean construction as well i mean it's lean construction uh and that model is really being rolled out by you know the um the fdi sector in ireland at the moment you know um uh, and that involves contractors engaging with the employer's representative these you know large uh, consulting engineering companies at an early stage um, to find the best way of doing the job, mm. the best 
best model at doing the job um, and the most efficient manner of carrying out the work, you know. It does involve changes and it's recognised, you know, they will try and do value engineering, for instance, accept value engineering proposals, uh, all mm. of that type of stuff. Um, so it's... But the relationship itself is more professional it's more, more professional it's more productive uh, and it's not um it's not influenced by um, restrictive public policy and bureaucracy and a fear of what the media will say in relation to a cost overrun on a on a public works project for instance look you, you look at you look at the dunkettle interchange for mm -hmm. instance that was uh the first time i think in ireland of early contractor involvement in the procurement process. Okay, what happened in that particular project is the budget did not move at all from 2011, I think it was, when it was initially costed. Uh, I think it was costed at 75 million, then it went to 85 million. But uh, then when it was finally, the cost was finally assessed with the two-stage process engaged by TII at the time, they were very enthusiastic about this early contractor involvement model. The budget was wrong so when the price came in there was this fear that if we sign up to this contract this is my perception of what mm. happened is that if we if we i'm not saying it did happen but this is certainly the industry's perception of what happened is that you know if we signed up to what was the final price submitted by the contractor who was involved in the early stage with tii of fully specking and designing the project that there would be um, that there would be media headlines about a huge cost increase for the Dunkettle interchange, and you know it was decided to put it back out to tender. Uh, so I mean, unfortunately, um, the public procurement model is very, very. It's just not you know it, it, it's it's not um, conducive to efficient practices. Conf it's it's adversarial at the very very outset. It's an adversarial form of contract. It's written by barristers for that very moment. Mm. I could be cynical and say the legal profession wrote that form of contract uh, for the government in 2007 um, so that they could have a, you know, it's, and, it's adversarial. And in terms of um, changing that contract or changing how public sector procurement works in, in construction, do you see things changing? Uh, we do. I mean, um, we've had the introduction of the Construction Contracts Act in 2016. We've had those changes in, in 2016 as well, uh, um, which, you know, reintroduced the Bill of Quantities, you know, effectively, some would argue, brought back nomination for subcontractors. So there could be for the specialist subcontractors, if the value of the works was, I can't remember, was it over a certain amount, sorry, um, that they would be nominated directly by the client the electrical and mechanical uh, contractors in particular. Uh, so those changes were introduced um, and, and the reintroduction of the bill of quantities, they all helped, right, in terms of the ability of our industry to price the job correctly for our client, the public sector. Um, they're they, they helped. But it's these notice periods, it's this fascination with getting a fixed price um, that we will not allow, for instance, you know, we've a statutory wage mechanism in our industry for mm. our workers, you know, they're covered by the sector employment orders. That's not recoverable. So uh, the contractor is, is stuck with all of these risks. Um, uh, and so it creates a very adversarial. So what needs to be done? In fairness, there are changes. Um, we've we've had the medium term strategy um, published uh, by the Department of Public, uh, um, by, sorry, the Office of Government Procurement. Um, we are engaging with the Government Construction Contracts Committee, all of these bodies, uh, and we will be quite hopeful 
that um, some of the changes outlined in the medium term strategy will be introduced over the next year. The productivity report that was published um, in December uh, by the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform recognises these problems and does talk about the need for change so that we can have greater productivity in, in our in, in our industry. So that, that's been accepted as it's, I think it's been accepted. Constraint. It's been accepted but um, we're still left with that when it comes down to pushing the button on allowing for vari price variation clauses in the contract um, uh, you know that there might be a reluctance to do it because the senior civil servants that have to control the purse strings and it is the civil servants in the that control the purse strings they will be reluctant to be exposed to maybe issues arising on a contract which which legitimately increases the cost of carrying out the project it's the budgets it's the initial budgets are the budgets realistic for the, the building you know and that's where we need early contractor involvement on the major projects it's difficult enough to have early contractor involvement maybe lower down the scale of projects but certainly for the larger projects it should be a matter of course early contractor involvement there's a price range price variation is allowed and that um, we have the notice periods are changed so that in previous times you know you would have relationships and this might be you might say Dave, David that this is an Irish solution to an Irish problem that previously the, there'd be a relationship built up between the contractors and the employers representative the good ones and you would say right okay we need to move that window that example I used earlier on but we'll allow that but you'll do this for me and there was all of this kind of stuff there was reciprocity of there the was and at the end right you would then come and you would um, you would agree that yeah you know there was these changes made but there was these cost reductions made and we controlled you know the there were some very very good employers representatives that used to work under the old system and um, it created a far less adversarial environment a far less bureaucratic environment um, and a far less risky environment from from everyone's perspective but we need to change those notice periods so that they're more practical they're less, you know, within 21 days that you can do it as the project proceeds or different phases of the project, you know. So because don't forget as well uh, that under the forms of government contract, the especially for the smaller guys and the medium-sized guys, they, the, the employer's representative has huge control. They'll say, I'm not paying you. And you say, geez, I need to get paid. I have to get paid for carrying out the work. No, I'm not going to pay you for carrying out that work. That's not extra work. But it is extra work. I had to, to move that window and that caused me to close up that open, open up that open. Ah, yeah, but I, I don't think that. That was, that was, you know, and these silly disputes arise because the employer's representative is trying to control costs and look good and the contractor is trying to get paid for doing the work, their job. And if you could, if you could change, so is, is the public works contract changeable? Could they amend those three things, early contractor involvement, have a, have a more flexible process for variation? Yeah and um uh, yeah a more flexible process for variation um early contractor involvement certainly in the larger projects um uh price variation uh legitimate price variation where the regulations the legal regulations affecting the industry change we're allowed to recover that um uh, i think some of the, they would be the main changes and the no sorry the notice periods as well a bit more flexibility so that those notice periods uh, can be longer and can be as the phases of a project proceeds okay 
Uh, just a final question, Connor, is um, on Brexit. Do you have yes. any views on that in terms of construction, procurement? Very uncertain. Um, how will the clients deal with um, issues surrounding product certification? At the moment, most of our construction products are imported through the UK. There's a significant amount of products that would have uh, the BER, uh, the BRE certs, um, the building. Uh, so we just don't know um, what's going to happen in relation to product certification. Uh, mm. We do know that certain um, um, uh, some of these building um, regulation certification companies are setting up in Ireland. Um, we'll see how that develops. But that's our biggest concern. So it's more business continuity, the as biggest continuity, to expansion, yeah, or attraction. Yeah, I think I don't know personally. I you would be very very concerned. You know, there's a huge connection between the Irish construction industry and the British construction industry that has been seamless. You look at you know some you know Murphy International. Uh, Lang O'Rourke in the UK, one of the largest UK contractors, Irish, Irish company. Um, you know, you look at, for instance, uh, John Fleming at the moment and what he's doing, um, doing in the UK, building the tallest modular tower block, a residential tower block in the UK at the moment. An awful lot of Irish people <laughs> employed uh, by him. So there's been all of these synergies between our industry and their industry um it's been a, a significant release valve over the last 10 years for skilled irish construction workers you even though you go up to cork airport on a monday morning and you will see construction professionals uh, with their laptop bags getting on the flights over to to london to work in the uk construction sector so that flexibility um from the, common, e from the common market yeah. and even, I suppose, between our yeah. countries. Yeah. You know, culturally, we're very similar as well in the industries. Culturally, are very similar with sim similar regulations. So the ask is basically maybe don't complicate things. Keep don't things keep things as simple as possible and seamless as possible from that whole free movement of people between Ireland and the UK and goods um, from our selfish perspective, construction products and a flexible period of... Um, whereby it will be recognized that you know the certification for building products you know that we will accept um you know the certification carried out in the uk for a certain period of time until until we can and there is still uncertainty about that though. there is, is the huge thing, uncertainty oh no this won't be decided until the trade agreement is concluded and and remember as well and uh, david i mean over 2019 was a very poor year for the construction sector believe it or not 2019 was a poor year it was i know you're smiling now <laughs> and you don't believe me <laughs> but it actually was for the residential output in particular um, you know, an awful lot, you, there was delays to a significant amount of projects hitting the ground. And I believe an awful lot of that was down to the fact that the funding for those projects comes from the UK. Fundamentally, it's the real estate investment trusts. It's the, you know, the student, um, comp student um, uh, apartment construction companies, you know, for instance, an awful lot of those are in the UK. Uh, we didn't have many of those hitting the ground last year. Uh, same with hotels. Um, so an awful lot of the capital for our industry flows through the UK and I would have a significant concern about the impact um, that that will have uh, on the Irish construction sector in years to come.